Ayers on the Road, value-based parenting and life balance ideas from world-traveling family coaches. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. Hi, it's Richard and Linda Ayer here. We are on the road this week. We are in New York City. And it has been a beautiful Christmas week. Not in terms of a white Christmas, though, Linda. <laughs> no, we know that you out west may have found some snow, but not here. It's been 54 degrees, and it's going to go all the way through the upper 40s, lower 50s for the next 10 days into January in New York City. That's amazing. We love Christmas in New York, and there's actually two kinds of weather that are great for Christmas. One is a blizzard and white everywhere, and we've experienced those, and they're wonderful in this city. But the other kind that's good is a nice, warm, windless day when you can walk around town and go to Rockefeller Center or walk up Fifth Avenue or look at the windows in Bergdorf and, and just be warm and just have a little jacket on. Well, we have had so much fun. There have been millions of people. I haven't seen so many people since we were in Japan and we went to the Star Festival. You could not even move there, but it was about the same. Um, there was a light show down by Rockefeller Center on Saks uh, Fifth Avenue. A beautiful, that's, a, that's a tradition, right? It is amazing. The Christmas tree was incredible. We went to the Radio City Christmas Spectacular Even with our grandchildren. Even went to a Cirque de Soleil show called Twas the Night Before Christmas, which was not as good as some Cirque shows, to be honest. But it but, was festive <laughs> it was festive it was great um we have loved being with our grandchildren that's there the best and our, part uh two sons we have a son who came from gilbert arizona and another who's lived here for five years and will probably always live here at least in his heart <laughs> he loves new york city he hates to leave they're just getting ready to move though they're going international so you'll be hearing more about that as we go along because but, they're coming to stay with us for but a being while. with our with our little six-year-old our little four-year-old our little one and a half year old on christmas morning what could what could possibly be better than that linda and then being able to connect with all the other grandkids on skype or on facetime and man what a world we live in in terms of staying in close touch and basically watching 50 people open their presents on Christmas morning, and give their presents. We have this wonderful tradition of a Jerusalem supper on Christmas Eve, and I guess that happened in ten different, lo well, nine different locations on Christmas Eve, and everyone dresses up and pretends like they're a character from the night before Mary and Joseph leave to make their trek to Bethlehem, and imagination runs wild. <laughs> It does. Wow. We had um, so many interesting people here this year. A neighbor of Mary and Joseph's um, parents. We have dinner at their house before they leave and and uh, with a crippled child. And we had... Um, we had the, the daughter of Herod who showed up oh, uh, yes. surreptitiously and was telling us to be careful. And and there was a wise man there. Milk, Melchior was there. And... and uh, uh, Herod's daughter said, don't go back and see my father. He, I mean, I hate to speak badly of my own dad, but he's up to no good. And it went <laughs> on and on. The angel Gabriel even came. Yeah, the angel was there this year. It was so fun. We had really a lot of, of great times together, great memories. And now we're moving on to think about the new year. And uh, 
it's hard not to think about the new year in New York City, although we're going to leave, thank goodness, before the Times Square ball drops, because that's probably a place you don't want to be on New Year's Eve unless you're young and a little bit crazy. Oh, my gosh. We have a daughter who was young and a little bit crazy <laughs> before she got married. Honestly, she she decided that she was going to force herself to kiss a stranger on New Year's Eve at the Where moment. In the world and then, did she get that idea? I don't know. They were with a bunch of girls, and so she did it. Uh, yuck. But anyway, um, it was fun. Everybody laughed, and it all worked out well. And we're thinking a lot about the New Year 2020. I don't know. Maybe I'm overly uh, tuned into symbolism, but what does 2020 mean to you? When you hear 2020, what's the first thought that comes into your mind? Um an, an eye test, right? Clear vision, yeah, seeing clearly. 2020 is perfect vision. And what are you thinking, you that are listening today? What's 2020 going to hold for you? Particularly, I mean, you'll you'll have goals and hopes and dreams for your profession, maybe for your finances, for your career path, maybe for your getting in shape or losing weight or whatever. I mean, there's so many good New Year's resolutions, so few of which are kept, unfortunately, but I think they're still good. But what are your, what's your clear vision for your family in 2020? What will this year hold? We've, we've just been with this son of ours who's probably going to leave New York City and, and move to Japan because of his work. And so thinking about 2020 for he and his wife, uh, is a whole new adventure, a whole new paradigm shift. But each of us in our own way have a chance to start over as a new year begins and maybe reprioritize and, and get our ducks in a row, get a little more, try to match. I think the key, Linda, every year, at least for us, is can we make our priorities match a little more snugly, a little more carefully with our you know, with our actual day-to-day -day lives. And what we actually believe and what we want. Oh, life just has a way of carrying you away. It is crazy. Every day you wake up and think, oh, I got to do this, I got to do this, got to do this. And if you don't have a clear vision of where you're going, it is really hard to stay on track. I think that's especially true for parenting. I've, I've mentioned on this show before my days as a management consultant when I would always be amazed at these really bright, smart CEOs, both men and women, running companies and doing so well and being able to list their goals and their plans and their pro formas and their vision statements for their work with precision and with motivation, and yet having a hard time really being as specific about what they wanted to do in the more important part of their life, namely their family and their children and their marriage and so on. And we want to talk a little today about having a clear vision of, how would you say it, Linda, maybe being a, we like the word deliberate, being a deliberate parent who is proactive and who says, during this year, I want to teach my children the following things. I want to try to develop the following systems in our family, specific things that, that you really plan to change or improve within your relationships, your family relationships during this new year. Yeah, I remember when we first started doing this as a young married couple, um, and you were the goal guru, 
I'm so grateful that I can't I was, I've always I been in the goals. off in La La Land somewhere. But anyway, no. I do think that it was, it's, it was absolutely amazing. I mean, at the time, we didn't realize how important that was. But it, as time has gone on, I've realized that it was worth the effort. And we, of course, we didn't stick to it 100%. And we got lost in the wilderness sometimes. But it was so good to have a goal in mind. For example... We decided early on when we had uh, four kids under five uh, that we needed a plan. <laughs> Definitely needed a plan. Well, and first of all, we needed a goal. What and, were we uh, really trying to do with these kids? It, was it just a matter of getting through the day? In some cases, it was. Yes, yes. But we we realized that, and we this happened as we moved along. But we realized those little kids were here to experience joy, and we need to. Uh, be more joyful ourselves. We're the ones that needed to learn joy, but in teaching the kids, that's what they wanted. So once we once we changed our goal from making those preschoolers responsible and attentive and and clean Mind. and neat and obedient, once we shifted our focus to the goal of trying to make them happy, trying to bring out the joy within them, boy, things changed in our family. It and really it changed did. for us personally. It did. And we started a, noticing things that we hadn't seen before. That's a great example, Linda, of having a a clear goal. And, you know, honey, I, there are a lot of people, though, we, we speak a lot about this, about being deliberate parents and setting goals for your relationships and for what you want to teach your children. And the typical reaction, and I understand it, and that's why we're going to talk about it right now, the typical reaction is, are you kidding me? I've got three little kids, or I've got this, or I've got that. I... My goal is just to get through the day. My goal is that not anybody die or kill each other or hurt each other or, you know, I just want to, I just, I just, I'm just trying to keep up. And there are days like that. And I couldn't possibly set a goal. Well, what we're going to tell you is that even if your goal is sporadic, even if you can't work on it all the time, and even if you get distracted a hundred times a day, you're still better off. If you have a clear vision, that's 2020 we're right. talking about, of what you're trying to do. And you'll find the little moments when there's a, a break or where there's a teaching moment or where there's a, a pause or a lull in the chaos. And you have something to go back to because you have a goal in your mind. And, you know, going on as our kids get a little bit older, they go into elementary school and we think, wait, uh, they're the joyful bodies but now they need to learn responsibility they need to learn how to be obedient when they're told what to do and be responsible for their own things and their own stuff and their own lives um, on the day-to-day and then as we went farther into our parenting we got a lot of teenagers and like oh what these kids need to do is see beyond these mirrors that they are looking into every day thinking how am I? What do I look like? How do I look like to other people? And instead look through windows and so that they see what other people need and become really empathetic. So, you know, some so, kids are better than others at doing that. So a lot, a lot of you listeners know that, that that kind of thinking that Linda just outlined so well led to probably, many would argue, our three most prominent books or at least best-selling books, um, Teaching Children Joy for Parents of Preschoolers, Teaching Children Responsibility for Elementary-Age Kids, and Teaching Children Sensitivity and Values for Kids That Are Just a Little Older. And here's the thing, Linda. 
it's not enough to just have, I mean, that's a start, right? To say those are the things we focus on at certain ages. But to really do it, you've got to be someone who breaks it down. And that's what we've tried to do over the years is to say, okay, joy. What, what does joy mean? How are we going to teach that to children? Well, there's the joy of the body. There's the joy of the earth. There's the joy of setting a simple goal. There's the joy of sharing. On and on. So you, you outline certain things you're going to teach. And then always we find the best way for parents to stick to it is to have one focus for each month. Just one. Not You're not trying to teach all these different joys. You're just one joy. This is the month we're working on the joy of the body, for example. And you, it's it's just there. It's a default. Whenever you have a moment, that's, that's what you talk about. That's what you point out to children. That's what you ask questions. Same thing now for the elementary age. What are the different kinds of responsibility? Responsibility for yourself, for your things, for your siblings, for your, for actions. your actions. And you break it down one a month, just one a month. And then the same with values, you know, the value of honesty this month, the value of respect next month, the value of peacefulness the next month. And if there's just one focus for each age group, parents really almost surprise themselves with how much progress they can make if they are just focused on one thing for each age group each month. Yeah, it's re- it's remarkable. And, and you get lost in the woods, as we said um, at times and so on, but still just to have that in the back of your mind and then bring yourself back to, are we doing this? How can we do better? It really is an amazing instrument to make things run better. So after a little break, we're going to, we're going to illustrate that. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we read some stories from a joy school storybook, which mainly to illustrate how a simple story can teach a certain kind of value or a certain kind of joy and it can isolate it and a child can feel it vicariously and then you're in a position to talk about it more. So we're going to read you two or three more of those little kinds of stories and then we're going to just talk a little more about the wonderful year 2020. So hang on, we'll be right back. Welcome back to Ayers on the Road. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. And we're back talking about the exciting vision for 2020. Let's say that you have some preschoolers and that you have a goal to teach them joy and to work on one kind of joy each and every month. And if you're a parent of older kids, listen in anyway because... What we're trying to do is illustrate in the simplest possible way how having a goal in mind, how how focusing even a little kid, even a three-year-old can begin to get it and how your kids are not going to learn values or different kinds of joy or different kinds of responsibility by osmosis. That's it's almost like a lot of parents, Linda, think, well, I'll just be a good person and my kids will follow my example and they'll be fine. And there's a lot of truth in that. Obviously, your, your example is the best teacher. But it takes more. I mean, you, you have to decide exactly what you want to teach kids if you're going to be successful. That's really true. And um, we decided the best way to do is to break that down and 
and come up with a story that kids can really identify with as their parents read it to them. And this is actually from a second little Joy School book, uh, which is available online, yes? Yes, yes. Books. Well, you can just go to valuesparenting.com and get all these stories. But we have a real soft spot in our heart for these stories, mainly because they were written specifically to teach the most elementary kind of joy in each of these categories. So we're going to read you one um, about the joy of the earth. That's one thing children, that's a perfect example, Linda, because kids are so good at that, but they don't do it spontaneously. I mean, they might enjoy a sunny day or they might like to walk through nature. Yeah, but they don't but, really internalize. Yeah. They don't internalize. And this is a story of Polly and Molly, and one of them had the joy of the earth, and one of them had the joy of the body. And it's fun to tell this story to kids and then ask them, which one had which joy, and how can I have more of both of those? So it's illustrated by our dear friend Andrea Sharp Bergen many years ago, but they still work. The illustrations are darling, and this is available on valuesparenting.com. Polly and Molly had been friends since birth. Molly liked her body and Polly liked the earth. Polly noticed nature, each color and hue. Molly liked her body and all it could do. So one day they went walking and Polly said, Hey, just look at the beauty the earth has today. The blue sky and green grass, the mountains so tall, the sun on the back of this beetle so small. And Molly said, Yes, these things are just fine. But what lets me see them are these eyes of mine. The birds and the trees and the clouds and the skies would mean little to me were it not for my eyes. Next, Polly heard crickets and wind noise above. Let's listen, said Polly, to sounds that we love. The noise of the brooklet and the wind in the trees, the sparkle of rain and the boughs in the breeze. So Molly did listen and heard these herself. She even heard one bird that chirped like an elf. I love them like you do and every sound's clear, but you couldn't hear any except for your ear. Then Polly wandered up where the steep path led way up on a hill and to Molly she said, see the grass and the water and the far off snow and look at these flowers way down there below. Molly climbed up and said, on the grass we can run, we can swim in the water and snow ski for fun, but please don't forget, and I know that you knew it, it's our arms and our legs that allow us to do it. They wandered back home, they'd been gone for hours, and Polly gathered pine cones and stopped to pick flowers. Nature's pretty and useful, she said, and so good. You can look at a tree, or you can use it for wood. Molly also picked flowers and made a bouquet and reminded her sister for the rest of the day that we couldn't pick flowers without fingers and hands or use wood to make houses or lemonade stands. So you get the idea. Just a simple, simple story. You can find them in many places. But you, the important thing, Linda, is talking to the kids afterwards now. Now, which is the most important, your your body or the earth? Well, could you enjoy one without the other? And engage little children in whatever joy you're working on that month. And don't you think it's incredible how, how much they get it, how quickly they get it? 
It is, it is pretty amazing. And, you know, the preschool things are one thing. Um, there are also stories that we use to help um, elementary age kids. Yeah. And there are also stories that teenage teenagers can really get from, in fact, in a much more mature way. Well, you need, you, the point is, I think you can't talk about a particular joy or particular value or even a particular responsibility just in a vacuum because kids' minds are not theoretical. They're not going to analyze it in, in a nebulous theoretical way. You, they need to have a story or an object or something to focus on where you can say, well, what happened there? Well, what did he feel there? Well, how did that look to him? And then you can really do it. And it, it even works on fairly complicated things for very little children. I say complicated. Let's say you're really trying to teach a child honesty. I mean, we all worry about that with little kids because their tendency is to say what will get them what they want. You know what? <laughs> or avoid a punishment. I know. Lying is so a part of childhood. I mean, you know, you do, ha you do have to realize that every child kind of doesn't tell the truth once in a while. and But it's so important to impress on them how important it is to be truthful. I remember one mother after a, a seminar that we did came up and she said, okay, my child is just lying all the time. I am so upset about this. I'm so upset that the other day I just drove out to the point of mountain. This is where the, the jail is. I mean, the prison, the prison in Utah. I drove out to the point of the mountain to the prison and I had, uh, you know, we pulled up to the gate and I, I took that child out and there was a guard at the gate and he said, can, can you tell this child what's going to happen if he keeps lying? He is going to have to be in this well, place I mean, I if he does we, that. We don't recommend I would that, do not <laughs> recommend that, but I thought that was hilarious. Your mother was just so exasperated. But uh, it really is a, a part of childhood that they need to internalize and figure out how important it is to tell the truth. Let us read you a story written for three and four-year-olds that would help on a specific goal of trying to teach a child why it's good to tell the And truth. I think this is one of the most popular um, stories in all of the books <laughs> because people talk about this all the time. Go ahead, honey. One day, Isabel told a little lie. She wasn't supposed to feed her dinner to her dog, Barker. But she did, and when her mother came in and saw her plate all clean, Isabel said she had eaten it all. That was a little lie, wasn't it? The dinner was chicken and Barker got a bone in his throat. Pretty soon he started to cough and snort and act very uncomfortable. Do you know what's wrong with Barker? asked Mother. No, said Isabel. That was another little lie, wasn't it? But Isabel had to do it so Mother wouldn't know she told the first little lie. Mother looked in Barker's mouth, but she couldn't see anything. Did Barker eat something, Isabel? I don't know, Mommy. That was another little lie, wasn't it? But she didn't want her mother to know about the first two lies. Barker got worse, and mother took him to the animal hospital. Isabel went, too. What happened to the dog? asked the doctor. We don't know, said Isabel. That was another lie, wasn't it? But if Isabel had told, had told, then mother and the dog doctor would know she had lied before. The doctor said, if it's just a bone, we could get it out with an instrument, but it might be glass, so we might have to operate. 
Isabel decided it was time to tell the truth. She said, it's a bone, and I did know Barker ate it, and I didn't eat all my dinner, and I did give it to Barker, and I won't tell lies anymore, because if you tell one, you might have to tell more and more. Isabel started to cry, but her mother loved her, and she decided she really would tell the truth from then on. Pretty simple. I mean, the illustrations are actually better than the words, but if you <laughs> could see great. this yeah. dog. Yeah, you can so see the are, look on her face. These are just from the Joy School storybook, but you can get stories. I mean, I guess whether it's a story or an object lesson or an example, all you need to focus on a certain joy each month or a certain value each month is some kind of an object, some kind of thing to focus on. But even more than that, I mean, Linda, honestly, we've run into families. They don't really do anything conscious except put a big sign up that says the Peterson family's value of the month is respect. And they just look at it all the time. And then whether they're out walking around or the kids are at home, little things come up. Oh, did you see that? Was that respectful? And the whole focus for 30 days, 31 days, is on that one value. And it's amazing how many opportunities there are. Yeah, and you know, this doesn't just happen. You have to set these things up in family meetings so that everybody's on board. Um, I mean, you can get this vision in your mind, but unless the kids are on board, it's really so hard to make it work. And if they realize you're working really hard to do the best thing you can for them, you know, they're more likely to be on board. You can, you, you might get some pushback from teenagers and so on. But I think they remember that as a thing that you've really worked hard on when they were with you and after they've grown up and gone, that um, that is really important to you as parents to do the very best you can with the kids. So let's end this show, Linda, in the next couple of minutes where we started it with the idea that here it is, 2020. That's a big year. That is a big new year. It's symbolic because of the clear vision of 2020. And, you know, we've we've done a lot of thinking and studying about New Year's resolutions because a lot of our speaking involves setting goals and plans and so on. And, you know, you've read the articles. The number one New Year's resolution is to lose weight. The number two is to, uh, I forget, because <laughs> the number one's way bigger than <laughs> way any bigger other. than anything, yeah. <laughs> but there are very few of them are about relationships. So we want to make a little challenge to you today, you families, you parents, you marriage partners. Try to set at least one New Year's resolution that has to do with your marriage. If you are a two-parent family, if you are married, and a single mom, you know, and, you can do this as well. Mom. Or a single well, dad. Well, and, and, and as a parent, irrespective of whether you're married, we challenge you to set some New Year's resolutions in two areas. One, in terms of what you want to teach your children. Be Think of yourself as a teacher. What specifically do you want to teach your children during 2020? And number two, what do you want to change in your family in 2020? What do you want to improve in your household in 2020? Write it down, spend some time on it, make it as specific as possible. And I promise you that will be the best thing you do in 2020. So happy new year. We wish you the very best on that. We know we're talking to great parents. Thank you for joining us today and see you next time on Ayers on the Road. Bye-bye.